Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we look at his word together this morning. Father, you are a holy God. You are majestic. You are unapproachable to sinful man. And yet we come before you now, not because of what we bring, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And we thank you for being able to rejoice and praise you for those truths already this morning. We pray now as we look at your word that you would help us to humbly see your truth and to embrace it as the truth. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have you ever encountered a bad driver on the road? Now don't look next to you right now. But you're driving along and, and someone whips past you on the left and you think, that maniac, what are they doing? Don't they know it's unsafe? They need can really know they could cause an accident? Why aren't they following the flow of traffic? But later you come along and there's someone on the right side and they're just going super slow and you realize it's obviously an Ohio license plate because that's people that are always doing that. And you think, what's this person doing? Why are they going so slow? Why aren't they following the flow of traffic? Don't they realize this can cause hazards and accidents? And as good drivers, isn't it nice that we always follow the flow of traffic? Unless, of course, we have a good reason not to. You know, then we, we're doing that because we actually are good drivers. Have you ever encountered a bad person? Pastor Newcomer mentioned I have three boys. One of the things they, they like to ask when we're reading stories or, or watching a movie or something is, is that the bad guy? Is he the bad guy? And often in children's books, it's pretty pretty clear. They have maniacal laughs. They have ominous music when this person comes on. They're trying to tell you this person is bad. But that isn't that surprising because as we look around the world, we recognize there are bad people in our world, right? We just think about some of the, the things we've seen in the news recently. There are people who promote hatred and violence. There are people who take advantage of others, people who murder and steal, people who commit sexual assault. There are bad people in our world. And what does that make us? We're the good guys, right? I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning where Jesus talks about two kinds of people. And in doing so, I think, helps us to think about this question of good people and bad people. If you would, I encourage you to take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 9. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem. And in the passage we're looking at, he's just finished a parable, instructing his disciples to continue to pray while they wait for him to return to earth and to bring justice. Our parable in verse 9 begins, he also told this parable. So I think it's connecting this parable to the parable he just told. Part of it is, he talked about praying, and now he's going to talk about two people praying. But I think more explicitly, it's tied to the question he ends his previous parable with. So, so briefly look back up at verse 8. I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I think this parable, in a sense, is asking the question, who are the people who will have faith 
and will be able to be found when the Son of Man returns and executes justice. And this parable is a familiar parable. It's the Pharisee and the tax collector. Or if you're like me, and apparently your pastor this morning, because he mentioned this too, you remember the King James, the Pharisee and the publican. It's a familiar parable, one you probably know. And yet, I think, some ways we mishear what Jesus is saying because we aren't in the context of Jesus' day. Look, if you would, at verse 10. Jesus begins this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And as soon as people heard this, they would have immediately realized he's talking about two different kinds of people. One's a good person and one's a bad person. And we tend to think, well, the Pharisee is the bad person because we don't like Pharisees. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the good people. They were the moral people. They were the religious leaders. And the tax collectors were some of the most hated people in Jesus' day. And in fact, a, a tax collector in many ways was just another way of saying a wicked, sinful person. And we can even see that as we read through the Bible. If you read earlier in Luke chapter 15, we find the account, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now earlier it was tax collectors and sinners, but, but really they could just lump them all together. They're all sinners. Because that's what tax collectors are. Or you might be familiar with Matthew 18, the passage where Jesus lays out the, the, the pathway of church discipline. And after you confront someone over their sin and they refuse to repent, and then you bring two or three witnesses, they still refuse to repent. And then you tell it to the whole church, and they refuse to listen to the church, what's the result supposed to be? Let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Someone who clearly is outside of God's people, someone who doesn't know God. And tax collectors were hated because they were Jews. Certainly this tax collector was a Jew because he's going to the temple and only Jews are allowed in the temple. And yet they were working for the oppressors. They were working for the Roman government. They were working for the people who were holding the Jewish nation under. And not only were they working for them, they were taking money from them. We don't like tax collectors in general. We don't like people taking the money that we think we've earned. But beyond that, tax collectors were notorious for collecting more than was required and pocketing the extra. And so, as soon as someone heard this, they would have realized this is a bad person. As one commentator put it, a Jew who collected taxes was a cause of disgrace to his family, expelled from the synagogue, and disqualified as a judge or witness in court. The touch of a tax collector rendered a house unclean. Jews were forbidden from receiving money, including alms from tax collectors, since tax revenues were deemed robbery. Jewish contempt of tax collectors is epitomized in the ruling that Jews could lie to tax collectors with impunity. And so when Jesus says two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one the tax collector, in many ways it would be like us saying today, two men went into the church, one a Bible teacher and one a drug lord. Or two women came into the church, one a nun and one a madam. And what's the situation? Well, they went up to the temple to pray because the temple was on a mountain. And so in verse 10, they go up. In verse 14, they go back down. We don't know when they came. There were two designated times for prayer, one at 9 a.m. and one at 3 p.m., but they could have come at another time during the day, coming for private prayer. We find, first of all, 
a description of the Pharisee. In verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. That phrase there, stood and was praying this to himself, is a phrase that uh, is, there's some debate about exactly the best way to understand that. You might have a translation that says he stood by himself and prayed. Uh, the Nasby here says prayed to himself. And even with that phrase, some people think, does that mean he's kind of quietly praying to himself? Or that really he's not even praying to God, he's just praying to himself. I actually think the best way to understand it, and I think you might have a translation that does this as well, is that he's praying about himself. And I think that makes sense because as you look at his prayer, he's the subject of his prayer. He's the focus of his prayer. And how does he start? Well, he's praying, he's standing, and that's not uncommon. That was probably the most common way for people to pray in the temple. And how does he begin? God, I thank you. That starts off better than most of our prayers. Because very often, we don't take any time to thank God for his gifts to us. And yet, as we go on, start to realize he doesn't really seem like he's that thankful to God. Because he's not really giving God the credit for these things. In fact, he, he had, there's five I statements in this prayer in which he then has active verbs. I am this. I do this. I act in this way. And so I think this is probably more just kind of a, a ritual. Just a way to kind of start things off before he begins bragging about himself. If he were to post this on social media, he'd begin saying, I'm humbled, and then begin to brag about himself. Or hashtag blessed, and then talk about how great his life is. And so what does he begin to do? Well, first of all, he describes himself as a moral man. I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Swindlers were extortioners, robbers, those who took advantage of others. The unjust, I think, is just a generic term for those who do not follow God's law. These are wicked people who break God's moral law. And adulterers, those who are sexually immoral. Or this tax collector. And he assumes this tax collector is obviously like these other people. The tax collector is like swindlers and unjust and adulterous people. And so he says, I am a moral man. Secondly, he says, I am a religious man. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Fasting was only required once a year on the Day of Atonement. In the Jewish tradition, it often began to be tied in with other festivals and feast days. And yet the Pharisees did voluntary fast generally twice a week, usually on Mondays and Thursdays. And so this was nothing the law required. This was them going above and beyond to demonstrate their commitment to God. And he said, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. And I think this again is, is pointing to maybe going a bit beyond even what the law required. The law required you to tithe on what you produced. But potentially he also tithed on what he got from others. Just in case maybe they didn't tithe on it like they were supposed to. And so he's going above and beyond these kinds of things. And we hear that and we tend to think, well, he's a Pharisee, so obviously he's lying. He's a hypocrite. But there's nothing in this story that would tell us that. In fact, I think we should conclude he is a very moral man. He is a very religious man. He, he's the kind of person that in Jesus' day, people would look at and say, That's, I'm glad there's someone like this in our society. 
He's the kind of person you'd want to have be your neighbor. A moral, God-fearing person. A religious person. And so what's the issue? Well, go back up to verse 9. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. What was the issue? The issue is the Pharisee thinks of himself as righteous. That he has confidence in who he is and what he has done. And that's why he has all of these active verbs. That's why he has these five eyes in his prayer. He's saying, Lord, I am a righteous man. I am a good man. Look at what I have done. Look at who I am. And Jesus' description here is, is not a, a false description. It's not some kind of caricature of the Pharisee. We actually find other prayers from Pharisees that sound kind of similar. There's one of a man who says, Lord, if only 100 men are to be saved, I know me and my son would be among them. And Lord, if only two men were to be saved, it would be me and my son. Or another prayer that says this, I thank you, Lord, my God, that you assigned me a portion with those who sit in the synagogue and not with those who sit on the street corners. For I rise early and they rise early. I rise early to attend to the word of Torah. They rise early to do vain things. I work hard and they work hard. I work and receive reward. They work and receive no reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come. They run to the pit of destruction. And what do we begin to see? Well, we see that anytime you put confidence in yourself, what do you also do? You look on others with contempt. You view others with contempt. Because what does the Pharisee begin his prayer with? Lord, I thank you, I am not like other men. I'm one of the good people. I'm not one of those bad people. Whenever we base our confidence in ourselves, we will look down on others. And this was not something that just happened in Jesus' day. It happens today. Because we have a tendency to define ourselves in opposition to other people. Now, on the simple level, we, we do it because when there's two teams playing in sports, I'm, I'm a fan of this team, I'm opposed to the other team. But we do it much more broadly in life as well. I'm a civilized person. I'm not some uncouth barbarian. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm not one of those lawbreakers and criminals. I'm educated. I'm not ignorant like some people. I'm a rational person. I'm not driven by my emotions. I'm an empathetic person. I'm not cold and unfeeling towards the needs of others. I'm a tolerant person. I'm not some kind of bigot. And when we begin to define ourselves in opposition to others, we tend to then make them lower and worse. We want to view them with contempt. We want to put them down. Because if they're bad and I'm not like them, what does that say about me? I'm not bad. I'm one of the good people. You say, you know what, Ben, that's exactly right. That's a big problem we have in our day. We, we need to stop dividing the world up like that. I'm not like one of those people who divides the world like that. What did you just do? Same thing, right? 
Because we so easily fall into that trap. We are like the Pharisee. We think we are good and we look at others and think, I'm not like that. There's a second person in Jesus' parable. The tax collector. In verse 13, we find him being described. But the tax collector, standing some distance away. We don't know where the Pharisee was standing. It seems from the description of the Pharisee, he comes to the temple and he thinks, this is my place. If anyone deserves to be in the presence of God, it's me. But the tax collector feels as if he doesn't fully belong here. He's standing at a distance. And it says he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. I think even unwilling to lift up his eyes is because one of the most common ways to pray, I already mentioned it's common to pray standing, was also common to pray with your your hands out, asking for for God to, to bless you. But his hands weren't lifted because he couldn't even lift his eyes. All he could do was look down in shame. And what else is he doing? He was beating his breast. This was a sign of grief and a sign of sorrow and remorse. And the language seems to be he's continuing to do this over and over and over again. And what does he pray? There are no active verbs in his prayer. He doesn't say, Lord, this is what I have done. He just simply has a request to God. And he says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You might have a translation that says a sinner. I actually think that Nasby did a good job here. I think it should be the sinner. Because in a sense, while the Pharisee looked and said, I'm not like other people, the tax collector said, Lord, I don't know about anyone else. I know this though. I'm a sinner. And if I was the only person in the world, I would still be a sinner. And so what does he ask God? He says, God, be merciful. And mercy is a beautiful concept in Scripture. You know what's interesting? That the word that's actually used here is only used one other time in the Bible as a verb. I'm going to read that other time to you. Because I think it's actually saying more than unfortunately the NASB translates it here. And unfortunately most translations say it here. It's in Hebrews 2.17. Listen to this verse. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, here's the word, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In a sense, what the tax collector is asking God, he says, God, be propitious to me. And what does that mean? I think the reason most translators don't do that is because that's a word that doesn't necessarily make sense to us. What does it mean to make propitiation or to be propitious? Well, it means this. Because we are sinful, we have violated God's law. That he rightly has wrath coming against us. That we deserve his righteous judgment and condemnation. And what we need is we need an atoning sacrifice. We need a sacrifice that would cover our sins so that God's wrath would, not, would no longer be against us. And in a sense, that's what the tax collector is saying. God, 
turn your wrath from me. Which is actually how the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this. God, turn your wrath from me. I mentioned we don't know when the tax collector came to the temple. It could be he came when they were doing the daily sacrifice. Certainly he knows this is the place where atoning sacrifices are made. In a sense, he's saying this, God, I'm the sinner. Would the sacrifice that's made here count for me? Could, could this sacrifice atone for my sins? And what do we see? When well, verse 14, Jesus gives us a conclusion. He says, I tell you. It's, what Jesus actually is going to tell us is God's conclusion on this matter. This is how God views the Pharisee and the tax collector. And how is Jesus ever able to give us that perspective? The answer is because he's God. And so he gives us here the divine judgment on the Pharisee and the tax collector. What is the divine judgment? judgment. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, the one I just talked about, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. He's justified. We sang a song about that. Maybe you're not familiar with that kind of language. Justified means to be declared righteous. It's a, it's a judge saying you are not guilty of what you have been accused of. And actually, biblically, it goes even beyond that. You're not just not guilty. Now you actually are righteous. That you can stand before God. Because only righteous people can stand before God. And here, Jesus says, this tax collector is now justified. He is now righteous, rather than the other. The Pharisee wanted to say, I am not like those people. And what did Jesus say? You're right. You're not like that tax collector. Because he's justified. And you're not. Why? What does Jesus tell us? For. This is the reason why the tax collector is justified and the Pharisee is not. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does it mean to exalt yourself? It means to trust in yourself that you're righteous. It means to look to who you are and what you have done. And in turn, look on others with contempt. And Jesus says, if you do that, then you will be humbled. And that humbling may occur in some measure in this life. And we see this from time to time. The person who prides themselves on having a good moral reputation, and then a scandal comes out. It becomes clear they were not nearly as moral as they thought or as they portrayed themselves to be. Or the person who prides themselves on saying, I'm the person who can get the job done, and then they don't get the job done. Even if it never happens in this life, one day it will happen. Because one day, everyone will stand before God. And if you are trusting in yourself, then you will face His righteous wrath. 
and you will face that wrath for all eternity as you are humbled for all eternity. Because right now, we tend to think of ourselves as righteous because we compare ourselves to other people. And we say, I, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as this person over here. I've not done the kinds of things these people have done. I've made my mistakes, but I'm not that bad. But one day, we won't be looking around here. We'll be looking up there. When we look up there, we won't be able to say, I'm not that bad. All we'll be able to say is, I am the sinner. But at that point in time, if we have exalted ourselves in this life, we will be humbled for all eternity. Because there aren't good people and bad people in our world. There's only bad people. Later on in this chapter, Jesus is going to remind someone, there's only one person good, and that's God. Everyone else is a bad person. But what, is, what about those who humble themselves and are then exalted? What does it mean to humble yourself? Well, it means to be like this tax collector and to say, Lord, I, I know I'm the sinner. I, I know I deserve your wrath. And yet I humbly cry out for you, for mercy and forgiveness, that you would atone for my sin. And the tax collector, as he stood in the temple, felt, I don't belong here. And yet, what does Jesus say to those who humble themselves? You're exalted. In a sense, Jesus tells this tax collector, oh no, you won't just stay here. You'll be with me. You're exalted to heaven to be with God for all eternity those who humble themselves will be exalted. And this is only because of what God has done for them. And in every other way in which we divide the world, it inevitably causes us to look at other people and say, I'm not like that. You know what's amazing? In a sense, Jesus says there are two kinds of people in the world. Not good and bad. There's only bad. The difference is this. There are bad people who refuse to realize they are bad, but continue to trust in themselves. And there are bad people who recognize they are bad, and they are lost, and they are sinful, and they humbly cry out to God for mercy. And the people in this category cannot look at those people and say, I'm not like that. You want to know why? Look, look at what Jesus says there in verse 14 again. I tell you, this man, once he began to get his affairs in order, and began to turn his life around, was justified. Is that what the verse says? No. What does the verse say? He went to his house justified. It was immediate. Because in salvation, those in this category can say two things at exactly the same time. I am the sinner. And I am completely righteous. That in myself, I am still completely sinful. And yet, I am now in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so I am still the sinner, and I am still perfectly righteous. That's how salvation works. 
And so I can't look over there and say, I'm not like that. Instead, I look and say, I was exactly like that. And in many ways, I still am exactly like that. The only difference is, God did something incredible for me. He can do it for you too. Because there are not good and bad people. So I ask you this morning, do you think you're good? Do you hear some of the people described in a passage like this, adulterers, swindlers, unjust, and you think, I'm not like them. Jesus would warn you today that if you continue to exalt yourself, one day you will be humbled for all eternity. You know what one of the most sobering thoughts? Is that if the Pharisee left the temple, what did the Pharisee think? I'm justified, not that tax collector. And perhaps you have left this church for years thinking, I'm fine with God. And yet God would say, no, you're exalting yourself. And unless you begin to humble yourself, I will one day humble you. Instead, I ask you know that you are actually bad. Do you see yourself like that tax collector? I am the sinner, Lord. Or maybe, do you see yourself like that Pharisee? Or would I look down on others? I think of myself as good and view others with contempt. Perhaps you can think of it this way. This morning, in your own works, in your own person, do you believe that you deserve to go to hell? Because if you do not believe in yourself, you deserve to go to hell, that's where you are headed. Praise the Lord. There's mercy, there's forgiveness, there is propitiation. In our day, we say there are bad people in the world and tough luck for them, there's now no hope. You've sinned so egregiously. You've, you've been so wicked. There is no place for you in society. And yet, Scripture would tell us that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So do you Say, I, I believe I have humbled myself. I believe I have received justification that comes from God. Do you still fight the tendency to look at others and say, I'm not like that? I think we need to remind ourselves, no, no. I am like that. I am the sinner. Two men came to church. One, a social justice activist. The other, a neo-Nazi white supremacist. The activist prayed, God, I thank you. I am not like patriarchal oppressors, bigots, 
the ignorant, or even this racist neo-Nazi. I'm tolerant. I work to better society for everyone. Two women came to church. One a crisis pregnancy director, the other an abortion doctor. The crisis pregnancy director prayed, God, I thank you. I am not like pro-choice politicians, murderers, or even this abortion doctor. I provide care for struggling women. I save the lives of unborn babies. Two men came to church. One a Baptist deacon, the other a Muslim terrorist. Baptist deacon prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like atheists and drunkards and immoral people or even this Muslim terrorist. I've been baptized. I go to church every week. The neo-Nazi white supremacist, the abortion doctor, the Muslim terrorist sat in the back corner of the auditorium, shaking and weeping and holding their hands and their head and prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, be merciful to me and turn God's wrath from me. And Jesus would say to us today, it was that neo-Nazi white supremacist, the abortion doctor, the Muslim terrorist who went home right with God and not the others. Because it is the communist, the Nazi, the socialist, the capitalist, the Democrat, the Republican, the libertarian, the faithful family man, the playboy, the philanthropist, the greedy corporate executive, the war hero, the traitor, the serial killer, the cannibal, the sex offender, all of them can go home justified. And if you think, I'm not sure all those people should be put together. And I would say, I think that's exactly what the Pharisee would say too. Because no one, no one can trust in themselves hope to be justified. Hope to stand before God and be welcomed into his presence. But anyone, anyone can humbly trust in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. There are no good people in this world. Everyone is either a bad person who remains unforgiven or a bad person who's been graciously and mercifully forgiven by God. So has God been merciful to you, the sinner? Let's pray. Father, We need your help even to humble ourselves. Help us never to look at ourselves and trust in ourselves. May we constantly look to you, what you have done. But certainly we, we long to, to walk in obedience to you once we've been made right with you and yet even that is nothing that we can take pride in. Father, I ask if there is anyone here who is still exalting themselves, 
or may they hear your warning today. Pray these things in Jesus' name.